evidence and answers. The world around us can either influence us or we can affect those around us in a positive way. The topic today is discernment. Today's show will definitely be exciting, so stay with us. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, our format has changed. You will hear segments from another radio broadcast. Pat Zucran had the opportunity to be on a radio talk show called Point of View, hosted by Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries. The topic is discernment. Kirby's guests include Michael Craven and our own Dr. Pat Zucran. Continuing on where we left off the last time we were together is Point of View's host, Kirby Anderson. Well, I was just thinking about an irony because it goes back to Mark's comment just a minute ago. We have more resources than we've ever had before, and yet we have the highest level of biblical illiteracy. Now, that's not me speaking. You can uh, go to Back to the Bible, and uh, there is a book that came out a number of years ago called The Good Book. And uh, that illustrated, I think, to any fair-minded person that we have levels of biblical illiteracy that may be unprecedented. And so here we have the interesting contradiction between having more Bibles, more Bible software, more Bible seminaries and colleges and study aids and everything, and yet we're more illiterate about the Bible than ever before. Yeah, what was the uh, the recent uh, study that revealed the most commonly known Bible verse among Christians was God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> I, that's disturbing on several levels. Yes. Not only is it not in the Bible, I need to clarify that maybe. Yes, please. But, uh, but, but theologically, God helps those who help themselves. I mean, if, you don't, if that doesn't strike you immediately, then you, you don't even understand the gospel. <laughs> yeah, Erica, you know, thanks for your call. You're what is encouraging you know, to the Christian church in the West, people like you that says, we want more than just to feel good and to be entertained on Sunday. We want solid biblical teaching, and we want to raise our children with an understanding of the Christian worldview and the desire to learn and develop the Christian mind, you know, something that was lost is what is so encouraging. And that's what a great trend I'm, I'm seeing in many people saying, I want a church that's going to teach meat. I'm tired of this, you know, entertainment kind of church. And, and that's what is encouraging. And the fact that you want to pass it on to your children. And for, you know, if your children are going to the public schools, that's great. You need to be involved in their education. When they come home and say, Mom, Dad, you know what we learned today in biology? Darwinism. Now, that seems to contradict Genesis. Well, you know, that's where parents who understand the Christian worldview can Apply 2 Corinthians 10.5, destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Not only, you know, you don't want to just say, well, the Bible says and that's it. You know, ignore Darwinism. It'll go away. Well, it's not. You need to be able to go in there and understand, hear the flaws of Darwinian evolutionary thought. Here's why it's contrary to biblical thinking. And to be able to give reasons why you believe in and the flaws in things like Darwinism. How many students... You know, I was teaching on American church history. How many students say, well, the Puritans came purely for economic reasons. There was nothing religious, and they came for money. <laughs> you know, the Civil War, I was speaking in a church in Hawaii, and the Christians were upset. They said the Civil War was fought over money. You know, the North was industrialized. The South wasn't. The North wanted to make more money, and that's why they went to war. It's purely economic reasons, you know, to be able to understand American history and to go in there and say, no, 
you know, here's what it was all about to be able to dispel those kinds of myths. And parents, you're the first ones who are going to be teaching and leading your children in that arena. So again, not only historical illiteracy, but in some of those cases, actually historical revisionism that took place in the textbooks at the early part of the 20th century. Well, we need to take a break. We'll come back and take some more of those phone calls. Pat Zuckerin, Michael Craven with us. We'll be back right after this. Uh, before the break, we were talking about some examples of historical illiteracy. I thought uh, real briefly I would go to Marcella in Georgia. She, I believe, has an example, so share it with us, please. Yeah, I think it's a very good example. Uh, and this thing with the holidays and, is, you know, it's just really confusion. And one of them has to do with Martin Luther King's birthday, a birthday holiday change to Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I uh, I say about mm, some time ago, early 90s, I was at a friend of mine's house, and I was telling their children that Martin Luther King Day and Martin Luther King's birthday, that they're two different. They're totally different. And these are school children, and they couldn't believe it. And they've celebrated it. I mean, and that's recent history. Well, not at least yeah, for us around yeah, the table. Yeah, and the thing is, I grew up in the 60s and up in the Midwest. And we were taught, when the holidays came, we were taught what they were about. And, yeah. well, of course, that one, definitely. I mean, I was like 12 years old, you know, when that happened. Sure. Well, you know, I was just thinking that if they don't know Martin Luther King... Probably don't know uh, much about uh, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Probably uh, can't put the Civil War in the proper half century, right? I mean, we've seen some of the statistics on that. Probably don't know. I've looked at the historical record. Most um, uh, graduates from high school cannot tell you what the precipitating event was that uh, brought the United States into World War II. You live there, Pat. (laughs) I mean, you just start thinking about what they don't know, and these people vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just uh, just sort of hit me all of a sudden. Oh, this yeah, is you know, a... Curry, let me tell you another story. You know, I was in a church out on the West Coast, and, you know, when I was done, I was talking about how Christianity has influenced, been a major influence in Western civilization, and people in the congregation were saying, no, what our founding fathers wanted was freedom from religion, getting religion out of the government. That's what they wanted. They're never—it it wasn't— you know, about being a Christian government or anything like that. It was getting religion completely out of the government. That's what they wanted. And what George Bush did and other presidents, you know, that was wrong. That's not what our founding fathers wanted. And I said, well, have you ever read the Declaration of Independence? You know, and they were a little bit quiet. And I said, Declaration of Independence, the part we know reads like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I said, creator, creation, God-given moral absolutes. I said, where in the world did that come from? <laughs> you know? And they just kind of threw up their hands in the air, and I said, it came right from the Bible. You know, you can't deny the Christian foundations, and it wasn't freedom from religion. It's freedom of religion. Of course, if you don't quote the Declaration accurately, and our president a couple of times has left out the word creator when he's quoted it, maybe that just reinforces some of that secularism. Michael, before we go to the next call, because I do want to go to Katie up there in Alaska, you just came back from the Lyft program, and we've had uh, Jim Hammond on this program before. It's one of these really excellent programs. There's the Lyft program in New York, and there is the Canicut Institute in uh, Missouri, and there is the Forge in Texas and other places. 
places, which take, in most cases, college graduates and really prepare them for the world. Sometimes they are in college, but nevertheless, you spend some time interacting with young people, but you find that you can make one or two statements and have every hand go up. And one of those is just that Western culture is superior. Yeah, yeah, that'll immediately bring the conversation to a halt. And and what you begin to discover, and of course I do that intentionally, and what you begin to discover is that you're, you're speaking to a generation of young people, including Christian young people, who have been inculcated with a set of, of ideas, uh, typically secular, secular, typically liberal, t- typically um, Enlightenment-type ideas that are anti-Western, anti-nationalistic, um, anti-capitalistic. They're profoundly socialist. They don't know it. And, and they've been indoctrinated with these ways of thinking, and they have successfully blended these with their Christian faith and thinking that these are the moral positions that Christians should take on these matters. Uh, again, revealing what we've been talking about. It's just a, a, a dearth of understanding Christianity's role in interpreting our understanding of these aspects of life and culture. And I've watched that when you write certain articles, which again, we're encouraging people to find out about. I'll give, give the websites again in just a minute. Uh, certain parts of your commentaries generate an enormous amount of response. And uh, you can find them in Crosswalk and other places where they will actually post those. And you will sometimes uh, the next week say, oh, I can't believe all the letters I got and all the comments. And you'll even interact with some of those. And there are times when, uh, to be candid, I do tend to shake my head while I'm looking at my computer screen, just saying, is that the response we're getting from what you would have to assume, again, are thinking Christians? It's just a little bit like we started the program with the Al Mohler blog. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not everybody's reading Al Mohler. Not everybody's reading Michael Craven. And so you would say this this would be a, uh, if you had a pyramid, this would be the top part here. These would be the people that took the time to sign up, took the time to read, and then took the time to write back. That, That puts you in a pretty narrow group of individuals, and right. yet, nevertheless, when you hear those comments, you say, if this is even close to representative of the rest of the body of Christ, we've got some problems. Well, and to be honest, there are times when it, it, it becomes so discouraging <laughs> uh, that, that I just I just bow my head in frustration and, and just feel like, Lord, it, it, are we just hopeless? Because what I get back are opinions and ideologies very infrequently do I ever receive anything that is rooted in any sound theological argument that disagrees with what I'm writing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's emotional opinions, it is, it is ideological opinions that have nothing to do with sound biblical theology. Wow. Let's go back and take some more phone calls. We'll head up to the state of Alaska this time. Uh, KJNP and Katie, thank you for calling in today. Hello. Yes, I like the fact that you are interested in young people and preserving their beliefs, I've seen something that works to preserve the belief of of Christian young people beyond high school. And the people in church realize it's a war out there, a war like they're never going to experience again when they get older. There is 6 a.m. seminary for those that want to attend, and rides are provided by the membership. Then the uh, people, the young people, are told more gospel principles. It's related to how they can apply that to everyday living and choices and not have those choices watered down. It's discernment again. And then after uh, feasting spiritually before they go off to war, so to speak, the young go to people go to school and they 
uh, mostly try and live out their beliefs. They refuse the choices that are offered them by their peers, all the way from drugs and sexuality to uh, uh, bad foods and cigarettes so and so forth, the unending plethora of choices thrown at them in just one day. And then they, their friends and not-so-friendly people say, well, why do you do this? Why don't you come with us? You're so antisocial. And then they explain what they're doing. They're waiting to be asked, and they know they're going to be singled out. And this often works, and those they know that they're going to run into a tremendous opposition every day. So do they go every day? Is it five days a week? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that gets back to something else. So, you know, I've heard of certain programs where they will have after-school teaching, whatever it might be. But I think it brings us back, Michael, to just an obvious consequence. Um, in a lot of youth programs, and all of us around the table have spoken at them, and Pat's been a youth pastor, uh, there's a lot of fun and games. Nothing wrong with entertainment. But if indeed you aren't preparing your young people for the fact that they're going to engage in a war, an intellectual war, and in a sense see that as a boot camp, sooner or later you're setting them up to fail. Yeah, pizza discipleship uh, <laughs> or theotainment. And and what I have discovered, and I think you probably have all experienced this, is is when you sit down with people, young people especially, and begin to have or attempt to have a, an intelligent conversation, it, 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 it there's some resistance in the beginning, but eventually they will settle in and what they are so sick and tired of is being patronized and treated as if they're stupid. They want to talk about the real world. They want to talk about real life, and they want to talk about how this faith makes a difference in both of those. And what we're not doing in our churches is is we're not making disciples out of young people. We're entertaining them to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not equipping them with any solid theological foundation. We're sending them out as lambs to slaughter, and they are being slaughtered in droves. The church knows this. They've been taught this. They've read all the statistics, and yet we keep doing the same things over and over and over, and it just drives me crazy. Same thing over and over and expecting different results. Isn't that the definition of insanity? insanity. Well, we're going to come back. I want to get some comments from Pat Zucran, but we do need to take a break, and when we come back, we will do our best to take a few more phone calls. I apologize for many of you not being able to get through today, but we'll do our best. That comes up right after this. Take some more phone calls in just a minute as we talk with Pat Zucran and Michael Craven, but Pat, I thought I might come to you for just a minute. We obviously have been giving a diagnosis. What about a prescription? I think along the way we've been giving a little bit of one, but it seems to me that if you're talking to people that are in youth ministry, you've been in youth ministry, what do you say to them? Yeah, you know, Kirby, we diagnosed the problem, but how do we turn the tide here? Well, first of all, it begins in the home. You know, parents, you're going to be the greatest influence of your young people. And where do they get their spiritual convictions from? Primarily it comes from mom and dad. And so we're encouraging parents to, you know, study the Bible, get grounded in the world, and develop a biblical Christian worldview and be able to interact with your children on the things they're studying. I mean, when they come home and say, Mom, we studied about Darwinism today, and to be able to interact with them on an intelligent level. You know, son, what are you reading today? Well, reading Hemingway. Oh, what do you think about Hemingway? Oh, it's kind of dark. Why do you think so? What do you think is the ideology behind guys like Hemingway and Voltaire and these guys that you're reading? You know, to be able to interact with them and show how the biblical worldview applies to every arena of the culture. It's not just marginalized to my prayer life and what I do on Sunday morning. And the first area would be parents, you know, get grounded in the Bible and understand the biblical worldview. And then to churches, you know, really challenge your people. The churches that are really growing, 
Kirby, are churches that are preaching the word. You know, I think we're having a good positive trend here. People are leaving these kind of seeker churches and moving towards churches that, and and they're saying, hey, we want more meat. We've had several decades of this entertainment stuff. You know, we want the meat. And so I challenge pastors out there, your people want the meat, you know, deliver it to them and to youth ministries. Yeah, they want more than pizza parties. You'll be surprised. You challenge youth, they'll step up to it. They want to think, they want to be challenged. They want to see if their faith, you know, can stand up to the challenges of Darwinism, of relativism, of atheistic existentialism and others. You know, they, they, they want to see that. So challenge them. And also, there are some great programs out there on the Internet, Michael Craven's website, probe.org. But also, Probe has a week-long kind of mind games, prepping kids in the understanding of the Christian worldview. And there's some great programs that are even longer. You know, the Bible college I teach at, it's a one, two-year college prep kind of program to prepare these kids for the university context. So there's a lot of great stuff out there. Well, you gave some of the websites. Let's give yours again, and let's give Michael's again, too. As people yeah, want to... evidenceandanswers.org. And mine is battleforTruth.org. And those are some great places to go and to find out a little bit more about uh, some of the issues that we are discussing today. If you find yourself saying, well, I'm not really equipped, that's okay. There are great websites to be equipped. Let's go to Florida this time. Andrew, we appreciate your call, and you're on with Pat Zucran and Michael Craven. Yes, Kirby. Uh, our question, they mentioned that um, there was a Christian society that uh, dominated the world. I want to know when and who was that. Okay, when you're talking about the Christian influence, uh, not a necessarily yeah, he, a society. Yes, and he, it uh, dominated the world, the world, he said. I want to know who and, who and when was that, and where was that? Well, as, you, uh, as the, the Christian church, the body of Christ, began to grow through the first, second, and third centuries, one of the things that became manifested sure. through the church was, the, uh, was their works in the culture, and they encountered a profoundly pagan, brutal culture in the culture of Rome, uh, the Roman Empire, and and their response to that culture was to uh, demonstrate a superior alternative. For example, you know, you had the common practice of infanticide and child sacrifice that were pervasive throughout the ancient world. And the early Christian response to this, under this new view of life being uh, of value, having possessing intrinsic value, they would go and rescue the abandoned children of Rome. Now, we, we think, well, that's the obvious thing to do. However, in that day and age when, when resources were scarce and, and life was in doubt, survival was in doubt, this was a huge sacrifice on the part of a family to do this. But Christians were motivated to do this out of love. They did the same thing for the poor among them, um, uh, for, the, for the sick. There were two great plagues that hit the Roman Empire in the second and third centuries, and the Christians actually went into the cities to tend to those who were sick and dying while their own families had abandoned them. Um, so you, you, you get to you know, the, the reign of Julian the Apostate, the last pagan emperor of Rome, and he, he writes a letter to the pagan priests of his day saying, these Galileans, this was a divisive, or derisive mm-hmm. term that he used to describe the Christians, uh, they, they, they care more for our own poor than we do. And in so doing, they are, they are giving um, credibility to what he referred to as their pernicious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they cause people to turn away from our pagan gods. And on his deathbed in 363, he said, Visistai Galilei. You Christians have conquered. He understood the power of the kingdom, and what would follow 
would be the formation of, of Western civilization, which would shape the world and has shaped the world for the last 2,000 years. One place I would encourage you to read would be in Michael Craven's book. But let me mention another one I mentioned just in passing. Today on our website, uh, on pointofview.net, we posted a week of radio programs I did on the book by Glenn Sunshine called Why You Think the Way You Do, the story of Western worldviews from Rome to home. And it's all about world through views through history. And Glenn Sunshine was actually asked to write that book by Chuck Colson. He is an individual I've known over the years because I've actually spoken at his church. And uh, each year his church has uh, the Jonathan Edwards series because his church is where Jonathan Edwards went to church when he was going to Yale, not the church he took later on when he became pastor. But they've always had that uh, message. And he has probably done as good a job as anybody in taking us through all the various historical eras and talking about the development of worldview. So if you would want to get the book, it's a very interesting read, but if you want to just uh, find out a little bit more about it, go to the website, pointofview.net, the one called Worldviews Through History is up there, and that will give you a brief summary from a week of radio shows we've done. And we've also done an interview with him on this program, because if you want to understand more about the influence of Christianity, that is certainly one place to go. Just before we're done, let's again talk about your book, um, Michael, because it is a great resource for anybody that wants to understand secularism, postmodernism, the highly sexualized culture that we live in, and so many other issues that you've just done an admirable job of summarizing. Well, my mother says it's the greatest book ever written. <laughs> now, that means a lot to me. But um, uh, Published by NavPress, right? Pu- published by NavPress, available on Amazon.com. Well, and again, a great book and a good read and something that is giving you a basis for what you teach in your cultural apologetic seminars literally around the world. Pat Zuckerin, let's talk about yours for just a minute. I believe that's a Baker book that you and Dr. Norm Geisler wrote on the apologetics of Jesus. Yes, you know, I had the privilege of co-writing this with maybe the dean of apologetics of our time, Dr. Norman Geisler. And I always joke around, I said, the chapters that are really good that you enjoy are the ones I wrote. <laughs> but, uh, no, he, he did an outstanding job. I had a privilege of working with him and uh, shows you that Jesus was a thinker and Jesus made some astounding claims. He claimed to be the unique divine son of God. And he understood human nature that he didn't want people to just have a blind faith. He presented compelling reasons and evidence to uphold his claim. You know, Michael, when that book came out, I was around some apologists, and when I showed them the book and the cover, Apologetics of Jesus, there was almost this collective slap of the forehead, kind of like, why didn't we think of this? I oh, mean, yeah, you know, yeah, we've <laughs> talked about the apologetics of Paul, and we talk about the importance of apologetics and doing cultural apologetics and biblical apologetics, but this, as far as I know, is the only book ever written on the apologetics of Jesus, so I think you'll enjoy that one as well. Well, you guys, always great to have you in here. I wish we had more time to answer all the calls that we have, but we're simply out of time. But thanks for being with us, and I encourage people to go to your websites. My pleasure. Thank you, Kirby. Great to be with you again. Well, that's all we have for today. Let me just encourage you that if you would like to know some more, first of all, we always keep up the uh, information on both of our guests. So if you click on there, it will take you to their websites. It gives you their bio, and that would be an easy way to find that. The original article that I mentioned by Al Mohler, on yoga, we've posted that, as well as one by Michael Gleghorn, Pro Ministries, uh, some on culture and the Bible, one on worldviews through history, also one by Pat Zuckerin, and a number of other resources, all available on our website, pointofview.net. Let me also encourage you that if you would want to think about how you might support this ministry so we can keep these kinds of broadcasts coming to you every single day, visit our website, pointofview.net, click on the 
donate button. Or if you want to write to us, it's very simple. It's Point of View, Post Office Box 30, Dallas, Texas, 75221. Again, Post Office Box 30, Dallas, Texas, 75221. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers.